We're continuing our series this week. Uh, we're coming down to the end here. Next week we will conclude our Co and B series. We started this a while back with Come and See. Come and see Jesus and, and come and see who he says you are and come and see who he is to you. Then you can go and be. You can go and be Christ in this world. Last week we talked about going and being kind. Go and be kind. We live in a world that is starved for kindness. Sorry, that was two weeks ago. Last week was go and be different. Go and be different. So we want to go and be kind. We want to go and and look for people to be kind to. And we also want to go and be different. Different than the world around us, that there should be something different about those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ and are seeking to follow him and become more and more like him. We should be different than the world around us. And we should be different than ourselves. We should be different than we were a year ago or six years ago or 20 years ago, we should be growing in grace and growing in our understanding of Jesus and who he is and what he asks of us and the example that he sets for us. And so uh, we don't want to be so different that we are completely irrelevant to the world around us. That's why our bottom line last week was, was God calls us to be set apart, not set aside. Set apart, not set aside. So we want to go and be different. This week we want to go and be generous. We want to go and be generous. And if you're taking notes or you're a note taker, then you might want to get your notes out. We've got some notes today, and if you like to think kind of linearly and, and see things in three-point sections and those types of things, then you're going to like today. There are some notepads in the seat backs in front of you. There are also some notebooks that we make available to you. We ask for about a $5 donation for this. But you can keep all your sermon notes in one handy spot if you pick one of those up out at the uh, out at the connection kiosk. And somebody even pointed out if you take one of those notepads here and you can write down all the information from the sermon, you can fold that in half and stuck it in the journal. And somebody showed me that's what they're doing with theirs. But either way, we just want you to be engaged. If you're more engaged when you sit back and take it all in, then sit back and take it all in. Uh, but but be engaged and and say, God, what do you want me to get from this time that we're going to spend together in the next few? minutes? minutes. So I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You can grab a Bible again from a seat back in front of you. You can pull out a phone or an iPad and get there. You can bring a Bible to church with you. Novel idea. But however you choose to do it, we want you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand as we go through this together. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That's page 1803 in the Pew Bibles. And uh, it's interesting. I was thinking about this this morning and I realized that, that Paul wrote more to the church at Corinth than any other church in the New Testament. Have you ever realized that? There's two books of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Each of them are letters that Paul wrote to this church in a city called Corinth that he founded. The first has 16 chapters. The second has 13. That's 29 chapters. That's longer than any of the Gospels. That's uh, more than the book of Acts. Uh, There are a lot of chapters written to this church in Corinth. And if you read it from start to finish in both letters... Uh, you realize there was a lot going on in this church. There was some dysfunction in this church. There were problems in this church. Can you believe that there would be a church with problems? What a crazy, outlandish idea. Can you believe that there would be people that would misbehave in a church? Can you believe that there would be conflict in a church or that there would be people who have opinions that differ with the opinions of somebody else? And Paul spent a lot of time addressing those because he really wanted us to learn how to come together and how to be one, and how to be unified, and how to have alignment around the mission of God in this world, whether or not we're all from the same walks of life, or the same socioeconomic background, or the same uh, growing up, just 
There's differences. We're different. Look around. There are different people that call Linwood Church their home. And yet, God calls us to be gracious to each other, to, to set aside our differences, to pursue His, His purpose in this world. And we see that throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, and we're talking about this idea of generosity. Go and be generous. The world seems to say, what's in it for me? How can I get more? How can I get my fair share and a little bit of yours? And it really stands out when we go and be generous in Christ's name. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to read verses 6 through 15, and then we'll walk back through them uh, and take a look at a few verses in particular We'll be able to see three principles of giving in this passage and three outcomes of our generosity. Three principles of generosity and three outcomes of generosity right in this passage. So here's what he says. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So God gives graciously and generously to all, and we are like God when we give As well, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of generosity. Do you realize that's the gift that that Paul is talking about in verse 15? It's the indescribable gift of choosing to be generous, choosing to give generously and sacrificially. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I mentioned there were three principles of generosity. I was reading through a commentary by Warren Wiersbe, and he was, he was focusing on these verses, and he was talking about this idea of grace giving, giving as a means of grace. And in, in chapter 8 of this letter, which we don't have time to dig into today, Paul talks about, pray that you would excel in the grace of giving, excel in the grace, the gift of giving, that giving is its own gift. And that's why we love to give gifts to people at Christmas time. We love to see the look on their faces as they open a gift that we picked out just for them. There's a grace involved in giving. And that's what Paul is talking about. And the first of these principles of generosity is the principle of increase. The principle of increase. Now, I'm not going to go all health, wealth, and prosperity gospel on you here, okay? I promise not to do that. But there is a truth here, and it's a truth that we've looked at before, and it's this idea of sowing and reaping. And Paul ties that back to the idea that if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And you don't have to go any farther than a cornfield to see this play out. You can sow very sparingly in a cornfield and you will reap very sparingly. 
But if you sow generously, you will also reap generously. The amount to which you sow in is the amount to which you receive. And he's just making this connection. It was an agricultural society at the time, so it was very easy for them to understand, ah, yes, sow generously, reap generously. And so when we talk about this word generosity today, it's really important that we understand that, that it really has the root meaning of a blessing or a praise. That when we sow to bless others, when we sow and we give a blessing to other people, go beyond what is expected, that's generosity. That's giving or sowing generously. In fact, the Greek word that we translate as generosity in this passage is eulogias. Eulogias, like eulogy. If you've ever been to a... A funeral, somebody gets up and they say a lot of the nice things or the wonderful things that the, that the person did. It's a blessing. It's, to, it's initially meant to, to be a generous expression of gratitude for this person's life. That is the idea behind this. And when we think about the songs that we sang this morning and God's generosity toward us, the Lamb of God taking our place on the cross, dying the death that we deserve to die, we see that that God is an exceedingly generous God. That Jesus Christ typifies the generosity of God by laying down his very life for us. And so we see this generosity of God and we see Jesus saying, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Become like me. Live like me. And we cannot follow Christ who was exceedingly generous without being generous ourselves. That we truly cannot outgive God. What he has given to us far exceeds our capacity to return to him. And so we simply die trying. We, we live the rest of our lives as a thanks offering to God. We give the rest of our lives to try to extend that thanks and that blessing back to God through the service of his people, through the giving and the generosity that we do in our church and in the world around us. We give generously. That is the principle of increase. The second is the principle of intent. We see this in verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's an intention that's involved in our generosity. I'm not very often accidentally generous. If I'm going to be generous, it's usually going to involve some decision on my part, an intentionality on my part. And so when we intend to be generous, and we do so with glad and sincere hearts, this is saying that our motive in giving matters. Our motive in generosity matters. And you can tell when somebody is giving something reluctantly or under compulsion, and you can tell when somebody is giving something, and it's a joy for them to do it. And they serve with with a smile on their face and, and they're just excited to be there and excited to have an opportunity to bless another person, to be generous to another person. So we shouldn't be sad or mad when we give. We should be glad when we give, not reluctantly or under a forced compulsion, but because we've decided to give and to give with a generous heart, to be generous and grateful to God. Because at its core, all agape love, the love that Christ has for us, involves giving. All agape love is a self-sacrificing surrender. It's a self-sacrificing love that we give to other people. And the love that Christ has for us is the love that gives. It's a love that gave of himself and laid himself down on a cross so that we could be with him for eternity. You see this, this relationship between the love of God and the giving of God. For God so loved the world that he 
gave. He gave. He gave his one and only son. In fact, Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in India, she served there for 55 years, never took a furlough. I mean, she went to India, and she stayed there for 55 years without ever coming back. And she said this in one of her books. She said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. You can give reluctantly or under compulsion, but you cannot love, truly love, without giving, without giving of yourself. Because that, at its core, love gives itself away, gives itself away. The third principle is the principle of immediacy. And, and we talked a little bit about sowing and reaping a minute ago. And you sow the seed and you have to wait for a while for the seed to shoot up. And then you have to wait for it to mature. And then you have to wait for it to bear fruit. And then you can finally harvest it. But that's the difference here with the giving, of, being generous, generosity. There's a principle of generosity. It has to do with the immediacy of generosity. And when we give, we see an immediate yield, an immediate yield. Because we experience the joy, we experience the gift, the grace of giving. The second we give, we don't have to wait for it to come back. In fact, Paul speaks in these very absolute and universal terms in both verse 8 and verse 11. In verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you see those words? Now, this is where some people take it and run with it. And they say, well, if you give me $1,000 towards my plane, you'll be blessed. And checks are going to show up in the mail. And you'll win the lottery and everything else. And, And they point to something like this. But remember, when he talks about grace, the grace of giving, he's saying the joy, the gift of giving comes back immediately. As soon as we give generously, we experience the grace of giving. We experience the gift ourselves. Of giving. And then verse 11, it says, You will be made rich, not materially wealthy rich, but you will be made rich in your souls every time, in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you see? There's, there's principles that work in generosity the principle of increase, the principle of intent, and the principle of immediacy. But there are also some outcomes of generosity. There are some outcomes of generosity. And before I go into those, I want, I want to hit the pause button for a second because every time we talk about giving or generosity, everybody goes to money. Everybody thinks immediately of money. And money is a component of our generosity. And it's a very important component. Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where you put your treasure, your heart's going to be there too. If you put your treasure in your retirement account, your heart's going to be in your retirement account. And you're going to go up and down with that account. If you put your treasure in the kingdom of God and you place it in there and you make strategic investments over time and you give generously into the kingdom of God, your heart's going to follow your money right into the kingdom of God. And you're going to care more about the things of God than you would if you were not invested in them on a regular basis. This is just a true principle. But we're not just talking about money. We're talking about a lifestyle of generosity. We're talking about our time. We're talking about our energy. We're talking about the gifts and abilities that God has given us. And if he's given you gifts and abilities and skills, he's given you them for the community, for you to have a part to play in the community of God, in the church of God, where you would have an opportunity to serve with that gift. So if you're musically inclined or you've got leadership gifts or you 
hospitality or your great educator, teacher. There are ways that God wants to use your gifts to bless other people in the community, and it all comes back to generosity. Are we willing to generously extend what we have back to God? And so there are three outcomes when we choose to live a lifestyle of generosity versus a lifestyle of stinginess where we kind of guard our time and we kind of guard our gifts and we guard our, our resources and we don't share them and we don't bless others with them. There are three outcomes. And the first outcome is that it meets needs. Let's be honest. When we serve, when we give, when we provide generously for others, it meets needs in their lives. And the specific context here that Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 was an offering that was being taken place, taken up for the church in Jerusalem, which had fallen on very hard times. There was a famine in the land. There were millions of people who were suffering. And Paul was collecting an offering from the churches that he had planted around the Mediterranean Rim to take back to Jerusalem. And there were some real needs that were going to be met. We see in verse 12, he says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see, grace doesn't look for a reason. Generosity doesn't always look for a reason. It looks for an opportunity. It doesn't need to be compelled, remember, because we're not giving reluctantly or we're not giving under compulsion when we give generously. We're giving to an opportunity to bless another person. And your generosity, the second thing that it does is it glorifies God. Your generosity glorifies God. We see that in the tail end of verse 12, that it doesn't just perform the this, this idea of supplying needs, but it also leads to this overflowing and many expressions of thanks to God. We see it in 11 as well, that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God, and also in verse 13, that men will praise God for your generosity. When we don't seek the credit, and truly generous giving never seeks the credit. It never seeks the name uh, etched on a plaque. It, it, it doesn't, it's not after that. Because it knows that if I don't seek the credit, God will get the credit. But if I'm more concerned with getting the credit, then that's not really generosity. That's not really generosity. And finally, the third thing that happens, the third outcome of generosity, is that it unites people. It unites people. In this case, it was uniting the church in Corinth that had never met 99.9% of the people that lived in Jerusalem. They'd never crossed paths. And yet the generosity of the church in Corinth was uniting the brothers and sisters of Christ in Corinth with the brothers and sisters of Christ in Jerusalem. The, The Jewish believers who had converted to Christianity were now receiving a blessing, receiving generosity from the Gentile believers in Corinth. So there's a uniting that takes place when we're generous. And today, we see this happen when we give to missions. And, and our church funds a number of missions partnerships. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Pastor Alfred Colombo, who was here. And he shared for a few minutes in service. And then I was talking to him after service. And he went into more detail and was more elaborate. And he said, you don't understand the impact that this church, Linwood Wesleyan Church, not the whole church, the whole Wesleyan Church in America, but Linwood Wesleyan Church, by investing in me as an individual and investing in my seminary education, 
vacation when I was first called into ministry and sending me back to Zambia, you'll never know the impact that you've had, that Linwood Wesleyan Church has had on the people in Zambia. There are hospitals, there are schools, there are churches that have been built under this man's ministry as God has used him. And he traces all of it back to an investment that was made by Linwood Wesleyan Church into Pastor Colombo. Do you see the connection that's made? And there's a uniting that has taken place from Linwood Wesleyan Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and hundreds and thousands of people that you will never meet in Zambia because they were blessed at a hospital or at a school or in a church or in a village where the gospel came and transformed that place. There's a uniting that takes place when we give generously, when we give without strings attached. God can work in that, and God can do amazing things in that. In fact, I've watched this happen in churches where generations have been united through generosity. That there were people who were giving and sacrificing at Linwood Wesleyan Church 50 years ago when they were building their first building over on Sycamore. And then they gave and they sacrificed and they helped make the move to the current location And then 12 years ago, there were people who committed and who gave and who sacrificed generously in order to build the South expansion. And so there are generations of people who have been united through their generosity. And we have a real unique opportunity right now. We're we're looking at this. We've been talking about this as an LBA, as our our leadership board, that we're, we're dangerously close to paying off the mortgage that was taken out for the expansion 12 years ago. And that if we made a push this year, at the end of this year, maybe by the next budget year, when we start our next budget year in May, we wouldn't have a mortgage anymore. Can you imagine the impact that that would have if we didn't have a mortgage anymore, if we didn't have a monthly payment that was going to that? And so you're going to be receiving a letter from me in the next week or so that's going to explain that opportunity and encourage you to say, how could we play a part in that? What could we do? Could we give generously here between now and the end of the year and now and the end of the budget year in April and not have a mortgage as a church anymore and be done with that. And that would be exciting. And that would be something that would be an outcome of generosity. It's a unique opportunity that we have. So I want to review the principles, the principle of increase, the principle of intent, and the principle of immediacy. That that as you sow generously, you reap generously. That, that when you decide in your heart to do it and to do it gladly, there's a blessing that goes with that. There's a gift that comes back to you immediately from that and that we, we receive that immediately. But there are also some outcomes of generosity. There's the outcome that we, we meet needs, that, that hungry people have food and, and that starving people don't have to starve to death, that there, there are churches planted, there are needs that are met when we give generously and God is glorified and his people are united through our generosity. The bottom line today, and I thought of a number of different bottom lines, and they kept kind of rolling through it, and I settled on this one that it really has to do with this idea that we don't give generously in order to be acceptable to God. We give generously because we have been radically accepted by God. We're not giving generously in order to earn or to buy our salvation. We're giving generously because he has so graciously and generously given to us through his son on the cross, through the grace and redemption that we have in Jesus, we can respond to that from a place of acceptance, not for a place of acceptance.
And that is good news. Because generosity ultimately starts with the belief that it's all God's. That everything belongs to God. And that God is good. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone in it. It's all his. It all belongs to him. And God is good. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good. It's all his, and God is good. And once you believe that, once you believe those two things, then you can start to believe the things that are true about you, that you are loved by this God who is good, who everything belongs to. He loves you. He cares about you. He is there with you, that you're safe and you're enough, and you're going to have enough even if you're generous. Because the world wants you to believe that you don't going to have enough. If you're generous, the world wants you to kind of be conservative and pull back and and say, you know, I've even probably noticed I got this bowl of of apples up here. Anybody notice that yet? You wonder what's with the apples, right? Hey, I see you. I see you, bud. He raised his hand. Well, I've got some apples up here and just as luck would have it, there are 10 apples. And you might know where I'm going with this because if you've ever heard a message on generosity, you probably heard the word tithing. And the idea with tithing is that God said, whatever you receive, give a tenth back, right? Follow me? Sometimes I think he did it just so the math would be easy, right? (laughs) How many of you want to, would you have liked it better if it was an 11th? You'd have to get out your calculator every single time, right? Tithing makes it easy. So I have 10 apples here. And the principle of tithing says you get 10 apples. Now, how many do you really have? If God gives you 10 apples, how many apples do you have? Nine? That's the theological answer. Really, you don't have any apples, right? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone in it, you don't even own yourself or the breath in your lungs. It's all God's. So when he gives you ten apples, you don't have any apples, right? Because they still all belong to God. But God, in his providence, asks us to give one apple back to him because he knows something about us. He knows that greed is going to be one of the hardest things for us to get over. That he knows that if we give this apple to him, it's us saying, we trust you, God. We trust that nine apples is enough. We trust you. And here's what we tend to do if we're not careful, right? We take the apple that's supposed to go back to God, and we start to think about it, and we start to worry about it, and the stock market goes down, or the stock market goes way down, or they start announcing layoffs at work, or any one of these circumstances takes place, and we start to wonder, is nine apples really going to be enough? And we start to put our apples back in our bowl, and we start to make sure that we've got these apples insured, and that we've got these apples taken care of. And then we look at this apple that... You know, yeah, that's, that's God's apple, but God's got a lot of apples, right? He doesn't really need my apple, does he? And besides, if, if, I, if I give that whole apple to God, well, you know, I might, not, I might not have enough to make the house payment. And so we hold a little bit back. And then we notice that the car is leaking a little bit of oil, and, you know, it doesn't really have enough life left in it. We probably better, we probably better get a new car. And so we hold a little more back. And then we think about, gosh, you know, the, the vacation's coming up, and God wants us to have a good vacation, right? He doesn't want us to do without vacation. So we take a little bit more, and 
And then we think about, well, you know, tuition's coming up. We've got college tuition, so we better, we better keep that back. And Black Friday is just around the corner. Those TVs are going to be super cheap. We, God wants us to have a good TV, right? We'll watch Bible studies on the nice TV. And so we pull that one back, and, and you know, we got to go out to dinner every now and then. I mean, the guy's got to eat, right? And we got to have our cell phone plan, and we got to have fun. God doesn't want us to not have any fun, right? And the next thing you know, if we're not careful, the only thing we've got left is the part that we don't really want. And we kind of tip God and say, this is for you. And there's nothing generous about this, is there? But the God who gives, the God who models generosity better than anyone else, would probably say, no, give me, give me this back. Start there. And then, out of response, from that place of acceptance, because you've been radically accepted by God, because your eternity is secure, because the promises of God are true for you in Christ Jesus, you can say, you know, maybe we could cut the cable and we could support another missionary. Or maybe we could, we could drive the car another year or two. And that would enable us to give a little more at the end of the year. And, and maybe the church could be debt-free. And, and yeah, you know, we don't have to eat out every Friday night. We could, we could scale back a little bit. And this, this is called generosity. This is called going above and beyond and looking for ways. And, yeah, I could use Wi-Fi more, and I could drop my data plan down. I don't have to, I don't have, to have a $200 cell phone bill. And this is generosity. And this is what we're called to go and be, to go and be generous. I've actually had as a pastor people tell me that the New Testament, when Paul talks about generosity, it does away with tithing, that that God would actually rather have you give 1% gladly than 10% with a bad attitude. I said, well, you might be right, but I tend to think that the bare minimum, that the bottom line is not going to be generous. Generosity would be over that. And for centuries and centuries, tithing was the standard. And so I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what God's Word says. And God's Word says, bring me the tithe and you will be blessed. Bring me the tithe and you will receive protection. You will receive provision. You will receive the gift of generosity. And over time, you can find other ways to be generous over and above that minimum standard. And that will be true generosity. But this generosity, this open-handedness, is going to flow out of the reality that you believe God is good and that God is for you and that God is with you and that you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him with your 10%. You can trust him with generosity over and above 10%. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your health. You can trust him with your kids. You can trust him with your church. You can trust him. You can trust God. He is trustworthy. Whatever anxieties you have, he says, cast all your cares and anxieties on me because I care for you. I am there with you. I am there for you. And he says, 
You can trust me. And he proved it on the cross. He proved it, that he is trustworthy, that he is with you, that he is for you. In the most generous act of love that anyone has ever done for anyone else. And today, if you are here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not even sure what that means, I want you to come and talk to me. Or if you're, you're curious, I want you to keep coming back and learn more about that. Or if you're convinced, you've heard enough, you know enough, you know, but, but you also know that you're not committed to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today can be the day that you respond in faith to the greatest act of love that anyone has ever done for anyone else. And you say, I want it. I want to experience your grace personally. I want to experience your salvation personally. I want to step into the family of God today. Today can be the day of your salvation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, God is crazy about you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. Maybe you've been in that relationship with him for a long time. You have a next step. Every single person in this room has a next step. What is your next step? How do you respond in faith to God today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your incredible generosity to us. And we thank you for the invitation to not only come and see your generosity, to come and see your grace, to come and see your goodness toward us, but to go and be generous in your name. To look for ways that we can be generous to you and to others and to this lost and dying world. I pray, Lord, that every single person here would take their next step, whatever that may be, that they would respond in faith to you and that as they do, they would experience that gift of grace, that blessing that you have for them as they respond to you in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.